0: Welcome to SMATS Chats. Join us for this podcast as Steve Douglas, Executive Chairman of SMATS Group, in conjunction with industry expert Craig Holding and Australian Business Group of Abu Dhabi for an exclusive webinar that provides important context around the climate and strength of Australia's property market fundamentals. Recorded April 2021.
1: Is it going to crash? (laughs) <laughs> hopefully my computer won't crash, but definitely the, the, uh, the Australian property market won't. So hopefully you can all see, see my presentation slide now so, so we'll be able to move through. And well, I've got a fun topic. I, I'm a fellow expat like all of you, and I, I'm actually an expat refugee at the moment, stuck down in Australia during COVID. And, uh, you know, watching the property market with great interest from the front row seat, which is you know, quite novel for me. Normally I'm just a flip-in-flip-out sort of guy. Um, but it's been very interesting to, to see the dynamics of the market, you know, full term. So, today I'm going to talk about whether it will crash or not, and uh, thank you for your precious time and, and we'll hopefully just, you know, race through this because there's a lot of information to share and uh, hopefully we'll give you a good idea and, and some good confidence. Um, as, as with Craig, we need to start with the disclaimer. So, just reminder that, you know, this is public information, it's opinion only. Please don't act on it without, you know, assessing your own circumstances. Uh, Just a quick reflection, you know, back last year, you know, when COVID hit, of course, you know, the the headlines were all very harsh. You can see here, you know, there's a prediction of a 20 to 30% fall in house prices. That was pretty much across the board. I I think uh, I couldn't remember hearing anybody say anything. And uh, a good old friend there from Harvard, you know, he he reckons we had the worst property market in the world, massively overvalued. But i looked around for any positive headlines and the only one i could find was this guy um, that someone said expect a mini boom. oh that was me i'm oh, sorry i didn't realize so but <laughs> uh, yeah i was pretty much a lone voice back then and, and if you want to tune as to why i believe that it's not dissimilar to what today's will be but the, the seminar session is, is online Australian property issues during COVID-19 you can check it out but there were some fundamentally good reasons why Australia wouldn't do that and, and we will touch upon today but you can see fear and opinion is always gonna be readily available in every marketplace. And you've gotta be able to filter through the thought process and see which ones have basis to, to fundamentals and, and the rest. And that's what we always try and do and keep a level head and, and assess it. So let's have a look as to why you know, um, we did thought that. You know, interestingly, between now and last year, there's a few things that have happened. The government obviously went about it very, very positively to protect the property market in the main. Um, But a lot of the the activities that they took at the time are now starting to end. Now, one of the big ones was JobKeeper and JobSeeker. The government was helping, you know, giving extra unemployment benefits, extra money to employers that had a 30% reduction in their revenues due to COVID. And they made sure that they they kept those jobs alive by subsidising the ones that were still in work and increasing the spending and the revenue to the ones that weren't. They were great packages. They're now basically coming to an end. There's a little bit of lifeline in some industries likely to keep going. But, uh, you know, we've seen that the job market, you know, expand, we've seen unemployment now return to pre-COVID levels. The economy is, is very, very good because Australia has managed COVID very, very well. You know, the government also implemented specifically for the property market a loan deferral scheme. They were aware that people would have financial issues if they lost their job, et cetera. And they gave the banks $90 billion dollars in order to allow you know clients that were affected by COVID to defer their loan for up to six months, again that is pretty much coming to an end now. But importantly, almost 90% of all those loans that opted into that scheme are already back in repayment and normal. So you know it was there as an as a if necessary. It it certainly was taken up by a few, but it's proved to be not as necessary as as first thought. But it was again a building of confidence to say. Let's get ahead of the curve, not be reactive. And that was very strong in the way the government did it. They also brought in building grants to protect the industry. They've given people encouragement to build, renovate, and that's at state and federal levels. You know, They're starting to come to an end. You know, um, We're seeing pretty much those will peter out in the next month or two across Australia, both at state and federal levels, but they've you know, um, you know, created a building boom, which again is job creating, is activity creating, and it's also investment creating. So we're seeing a lot of people take the opportunity to move into their first homes, you know, upgrade their previous home, you know, do the renovation. So that's been a terrific stimulus. There it has side effects. It's now created labour shortages and all sorts of things. But it was a good thing that they did it. We also saw stamp duty concessions. Victoria is giving you stamp duty concessions if you buy outside of the city. WA still has some pre-COVID concessions, 75% discount. If you buy off the plan in WA, um, just to get that building industry, which wasn't in great shape, the development industry, prior to COVID, so that's um, lasting yeah. through to October. So th- there's a few um, on the table, not very many. WA is probably the last of them now. Um, Victoria for out of out of city. So get hold of those if you can. Anytime someone gives me a stamp duty concession, I'm all over it like a rash. Um, and, of course, lo- interest rates are phenomenally low now. The lowest they've ever been, 0.1%, is the official rate. Never ever before has it been that low. And uh, interestingly, the, the uh, RBA is saying that it's likely to stay at those levels you know, for around about three years, of which we're about six months into that cycle. So you can expect them to stay low for around about another one to two years at least. Now, part of that's going to be affected by the fact that you know housing is doing so well. So whether or not they choose to lift them to temper housing will be the big test. So we'll have to watch that at space. In terms of... Um, you know why the market won't crash? Well, there's some very key reasons for it, and and uh, if we look at them, there's not one or two. There's many. First of all, you know what's different in Australia to anywhere else is we have genuine demand. You know there is a massive owner-occupier market, 70%. You know people want to own their homes. It's very popular. So that genuine demand is what stimulates investor activity. Is minor in the Australian market, not major. So that genuine demand is what's always been the strength of the Australian market. We've also now um, got an acceleration of expats returning now and also getting ready to return soon. So you've got not only a combination of the current, but the future. You've got a lot of expats that are back here now looking for their next home, willing to spend money, they've saved up cash, they're coming back, they wanna have the lifestyle. They're not as worried about price points or borrowing anyways. But then you've also got a truckload of expats that have managed to weather the storm overseas, still have good jobs and are now saying, well, hold on, this is a reality check. Let's start planning for two, three, four, five years back. The market's strong, we should start acquiring. So that's a a stimulating factor that's always been there, but has accelerated, not massively, but enough to start making a difference. You've also got significant local buyer activity and many of them are upgrading, you know, and whether they upgrade within state or out of state, you know, they're taking the opportunity whilst there's a buoyant market, whilst there's a lot of activity to say, look, I can get a good price and then maybe get a better home or move to a state and buy a better home for less money and retire, all that's going on. And interestingly enough, you know, one of the reasons that I don't think a crash is, is on the books is crashes are usually caused by investor activity not owner-occupier activity. And interestingly, investors are still a small, small part of this current push cycle. So we're not seeing everybody jumping on to make money. We're getting people to jump on to buy the area that they want, the house that they want, near the school that they want to send their kids to. That's their motivation is lifestyle rather than profit. Investors are yet to come and step into that marketplace. And that's one of the reasons why the RBA is willing to leave interest rates low in the near future because it's not investors that are pushing it up artificially, it's owner occupiers that are driving it genuinely. Now we've also got something to bear in mind in the not distant future, and that's the fact that we've still got the borders closed. So normally we would get 150, 200,000 migrants coming back into Australia each year, but they can't come at the present time. It's very difficult to get a new visa to Australia or even to start coming in. If you didn't have PR before, very hard to get processing. So you can imagine there is pent-up demand from these people that would normally have come over the last 12 months and likely are gonna have stalled traffic for at least the next six to 18 months. So that's gonna create long-term genuine demand because those people are gonna come and they'll probably come in bigger clumps than they were originally intending. As such, we've got a very tight supply. One thing that people don't realize is even in a normal market, the average rotation in an Australian suburb is five percent. What that means is five percent of the stock is rotating every year in a suburb. What that means is one in twenty years a property comes up for sale on average. Now you've got to wait a long time because the thing in Australia is none of the properties are the same. So all the houses are different. If that you want that house, it's one in twenty years, but is it one in 20 years of the one you wanted? So there's always tight supply in every area, particularly the higher lifestyle options. So if you see what you want in an area you want to be, you better grab it because it's a long wait before it comes back up. We're also seeing significant building pressure. Now Australia's always been a big building economy because we're a new country. You now we're just starting to hit, hit our straps in you know, population, et cetera. So there's always building going on, but right now we can't keep up with it. The stimulus has come in. Bricklayers are charging a fortune. Materials are going to get more expensive. Availability of of labor is a real problem. And of course, normally we would go to migration to fill that labor shortage. But right now we can't. So we can't bring in building teams from overseas because the borders are closed. We can't bring in electricians because the borders are closed. We can't bring in a lot of people because the borders are closed and that's not likely to change for a while. The government even today has come out and said, they're not likely to open the border well into 2022. You know, So that's gonna be an issue in terms of labor. I think we're gonna to have to see you know, some special concessions and special industries and expect construction to be one of those. And of course, low interest rates are fantastic for everybody, which is terrific. And of course it does excite people to act, but in Australia, we don't get carried away with low interest rates because it's not what we're used to. It's an advantage, but luckily the banks are not drunk with a low interest rate policy. And by that, I mean the fact that they don't lend you money based on the super cheap rate that they're giving to you today. They add two to 3% to the current rate in working out what you can afford. And they do that because we have a law in Australia that says unconscionable lending is illegal. If the bank lends you more money than you can afford, you don't have to repay the loan. So the banks are very cautious in how they assess how much loan you can get. So they're doing it at 3 4% more than your lending at the moment. So that means you can cope with rate rises in the future when they come, and it's not going to become a massive problem in the market. So, All those things combined create a very stable platform of which growth can happen and that's important because that's unique in the world. There's very few markets that have the same level of owner occupation, the same safety and lending practices and the same quality migration that Australia has. They're the key elements that haven't just made it safe this last year but have made it safe the last 30 years that I've been doing this caper. If we look at population being the key issue, and again, if you've ever heard me speak on any matters relating to property, this is my most important element. Population is key. If you don't have new population and you keep building, you end up with oversupply. So if you're gonna keep building houses, you need new people to live in them. Now you can see for the September quarter, the Australian population growth has gone to the lowest it ever has been at 0.9% growth year on year, September to September. You can see in the previous years, which were I always do it in December normally, you can see it's been at 1,4, 1,6, 1,6, 1,5. So this is the lowest we've ever had. But bear in mind the reason for that, the borders are closed. It's not that people stopped wanting to come to Australia. They just were told, sorry, not yet. There's a pandemic going on. We don't want to bring that in in an uncontrollable manner. We're going to have controlled borders, controlled arrivals, fixed quotas, and those quotas are likely to stay for quite a while. But you can see, even with 0.9% growth, that's still a significant growth. You know, there's 300,000 more people in Australia this year than usual. That's a lot of activity in the marketplace. So you can see there that that's, one second, that's creating a lot of consumer demand. These 300,000 people need somewhere to live. Now, most of this is natural birth, so people are needing to upgrade from one, two bedroom apartments into two, three bedroom houses, villas, etc. So that natural evolution at a time of encouragement with interest rates being low is what's stirring that genuine demand underlying. Now, if we have a look and see, you know, if we look at who is the arrivals, You can see it was originally, during COVID, majority of citizens returning, but we're now getting back those PRs that were worried and couldn't get back in with the quotas. We're seeing an increase in the number of arrivals coming back to Australia. Now, this is important because not only is it quantum, but it's qualitative and it's financial. The general um, profile of people arriving in Australia now is expats that have saved some money, migrants that have got substantial wealth, that can go and afford a house you know a bigger house two houses a retirement a lifestyle even with a lot of our clients and we, we you know look after a significant amount in aviation and hospitality which are the two most affected industries as a result of COVID. we're doing an incredible amount of you know um interviews and appointments with our clients that have lost their jobs but are therefore accessing their retirement schemes you know, a lot of them were moving into their 50s and 60s and thinking about retirement anyways. So they're basically just having an early retirement and they're coming back to an environment where they can still get a lovely home with their savings and have enough left over to live a wonderful life. So once they get over the initial shock of losing their job and probably never working again, they all of a sudden realise that, wow, maybe I better get a better fishing rod and away they go. So, you know, they move from worry to happiness very, very quickly because it doesn't take a lot of money to have a wonderful life in Australia, unlike a lot of other places. Then you see the forecast for population growth by Treasury was 0.2% for 2021. It's already at 0.9 at September being the latest numbers. I think that 0.2 is going to prove to be too low a forecast, and therefore there's going to be economic uplift from it not being as low as they thought. You can see that net overseas migration, they figured it would be in 1920, 154. It's coming at 184, so it's more people coming back than they thought. I don't think they fully appreciate how many Australians have taken the opportunity to come on home, be with their um, elderly parents, enjoy a wonderful life, cash in their chips and go to an extremely good existence in Australia. You know, the September quarter for actual, you know, our net migration was 34. The whole year estimate is 72. But again, it's going to be hard to see what that number will end up being because the borders are now likely to be closed longer. So we're going to have to see what happens in these numbers. and A lot of it is going to center around when the government starts to relax those border controls and ex- expect that when that happens, we're going to have a second wave of, of this property boom. If we look at some of the components of it, and this, again, is one of the key elements in terms of picking where next, you can see the interstate migration has a massive impact on property. New South Wales is losing 20,000 people a year to other states. Luckily, that's complements and, and um, offset by the fact that 28,000 overseas people come back. But that net industry migration is normal for New South Wales. And what's happening is it's just accelerating in current time because they're now getting record prices for selling their New South Wales properties and are able to go to places like Queensland, which is the biggest winner, up to the Gold Coast, Sunshine Coast, all these places, and start living incredible retirements where they get much, much more house for much, much less money and when you sell a property in Sydney now, it's realistic to expect that you could sell that, clear your mortgage, buy a house somewhere like Queensland debt-free, and still have enough money to have a wonderful life or a casual, relaxed job. So they're taking advantage of that liquidity in the market, fueled largely by those expats coming back, the foreign investment, you know, the future migrants that are buying all of that is letting the money rotate and roll and go. WA is getting a lot of new migrants back because lots of West Australians, like myself, were expats. But again, we're taking advantage of the really, really cheap, high quality living in, in Perth. And I can tell you for a fact, Australia has the cheapest luxury property market in the world. There's nowhere you can get as nice a property in as nice an area, like for like, anywhere in the world than you can in Australia. Believe me, I've hunted and looked. If we look at what's the key driver of this current activity, it's actually ownership, you know, rather than investment and speculation. Then you see the ownership rate had actually been dropping a little bit over the last you know, decade or so. The top two lines on that chart, you know, demonstrate who owns their house with or without a mortgage. And you'll be surprised to know that there's a large portion of Australians that own their house outright, over 30%. That used to be 40%, but you know, now it's down to 30 Now, that's not because people are paying less off. It's sometimes they're recycling the debt to invest in a second home investment, et cetera. So you can't afford now with house prices being as high as they are to be debt-free on your house. You know, We always encourage people to pay it off and then grab it back to invest and earn secondary income that not only covers the interest cost, but can put extra cash in your back pocket to fuel a retirement, pay for school fees, supplement your lifestyle, enjoy yourself. But when you combine the two, it used to be just under 70%, you know, ownership rate in Australia, and it's dropped in recent time to about 63, 64. But if you look at the housing loan commitments graph, you'll see there's a massive spike in the amount of new home loans being done, And you see literally the great majority of that is in owner-occupier activity. Investor activity has picked up, but nowhere near the pace owner-occupier has. So what's happening is with all the stimulus, with all the stability, with all the low interest rates, everybody's saying, I might as well be an owner than a renter. It's now, believe it or not, cheaper to own a house with a mortgage than it is to rent in Australia. Now, how long that stays like that, two, three, four years, who knows? But you would be mad not to take the opportunity to become an owner-occupier while you can. Now, the biggest hassle most Australians usually have is deposit. Now, many are taking advantage of their parents, many are finding it from somewhere, taking advantage of some government schemes that were introduced to help you get over the line with a smaller deposit. Whatever it takes, it's worth doing because it's cheaper to pay off a mortgage and reduce your debt than it is to pay the landlord. And you see, investor um, loans are still quite strong, you know, so there's still been a building up of investment activity, but not to the same extent now as owner occupation. So I'm expecting that owner occupation to lift from about 62, 63 back up to 65, 66, 67, because it's such a good time to step over the line and a lot of people are ceasing their procrastination. The Australian property market has always had three phases, slow, medium, and fast. That's not changed. If we look at where everywhere is, Perth is still very opportunistic. Brisbane is about to go boom. It's been doing very well for last year, but that net interstate migration benefits Queensland greatly. So they're gonna get a lot. Sydney has been in its down cycle, which you'll see in a sec, but is now very, very strong buying and still hasn't got near its peak, I hate to say, but it's so expensive, you need to bring your A game. You've got Darwin that's just sitting there, it's had a resurgence, it's out of its um, decline. Adelaide is in really good shape at the moment and Melbourne is still good value and going into its next growth phase because again population. Now it's lagged behind everybody else because it had the worst result out of COVID. It was the only state that had to go back into you know lockdowns and restrictions it's had a lot of impact from that. It's also most affected by the fact that students which live in the city and tourism in Melbourne with a lot of you know, Airbnb apartments has been massively impacted. So that's gonna take longer to recover in that sector, but that genuine buying market is still extremely strong. To give you an idea, um, you can see here, one second, let me get If you all do that survey, that would be great. Let's have a look. So you see here in the in the last three months, the market has been very strong. The September and December numbers, 36 growth for the quarter, 6% for the December 20 quarter is extremely strong bounce back. Now you can see here in June, we did have a minus quarter. But interestingly enough, we had a bigger minus quarter in the March 19, June 19 because of the federal election than we did as everyone being worried about COVID. People were more more concerned that Bill Shorten was going to get in as Prime Minister and take away things like negative gearing for property investors, than they were about a global pandemic. Who could believe that? That doesn't make sense, but that's the reality. Now, the reason for that is because the election was just something we were worried about. The pandemic made us do things that were real, such as looking around our house going, wow, if I'm going to be stuck in here for three, six, 12 months in the future, Is this where I want to be? You know, I don't know if I like the small courtyard. I don't know if I like this suburb that much. If I'm going to be stuck again, I better upgrade. So next time I'm locked up, I'm in a nicer place. Now you can see, you know, there was the effect of the fall. So the Australian property market is so stable that the net effect, the worst effect was in June 20 with only a 1.8% decline because of what was the world's, biggest problem in 100 years. 1.8% was the margin of decline and instantly picked back up you know, in the next quarter and then boosted in a profit. Now, is this a boom? I'm not so sure, it's pretty much normal. If you look at the year-on-year results to December, the December 12 months was a 6.6, December 19, 4.6. December 18 was a correction in Sydney because it got too overpriced. It was at the peak of its market growing far too strong, so it had to cool down. But you can see, apart from that, we're not in massive growth numbers. The problem we've got is everybody's still thinking, can I get it at the cheap price of a year, two years, three years ago? And when they go and find out no, they're grumpy. They go, well, that's not fair. I didn't want to pay a bit more. I wanted to pay a bit less. So of course we're feeling bad and we're calling it a boom because we've missed out. You know, but the thing is, it's not gonna come back. You know, if you're waiting for that magic recorrection, it's not gonna happen. And if and if it does, the house you wanted isn't gonna be for sale for 20 years, anyways. So guess what? You're gonna have to wait two or three cycles. So you can see here the numbers aren't madly huge. They're just a recorrection of what was a softening effect. And now an acceleration as genuine demand is strong and procrastination is almost being wiped out. You can see on the overall averages in the last year, 6.7% for Sydney, 8.8 for Brisbane. You know, Perth is the worst performing because it's been in a, a low market. It was just starting to get in motion, and then everyone got worried about COVID. But you can see, this is the reality. Look at the average prices, Sydney, 1.2 million. Good luck finding a nice house in Sydney for 1.2 million. If you can, congratulations, but it's very hard because that's the average. But the thing is there's a lot more money in the market domestically and with the new coming expats and with the new coming migrants and they're willing to pay premiums for, you know, scarce, rare and quality suburbs and houses. So good luck if you can find it for 1.2. Interestingly, as I show everybody, you see Sydney is a 40% premium to the average across Australia. It was a 54% premium last year. That's too high. Just like in in 2017, we said that has to contract. It did, it got away from itself in 19, it's come back to 47. It still needs to be sub 40 in my mind. But the, the great value is Brisbane and Perth and Adelaide. You see, they're massively under the average and what a lot of people forget is that the average wage in these outside suburbs, you know, in states, is now a lot higher than Sydney. So you can actually go to Perth, go to Queensland and get the same job on the same money, you know, but get a much better house and therefore a much better lifestyle with less pressure. Again, 10, 20 years ago, you had to go to Sydney to get the big money because that those big money jobs weren't in the, the Melbournes and the Brisbane's and the Perth's. They are now. So... You know, this is a distortion that many people haven't picked up. You know, it's a phenomenon that I think will just be left uncharted. You see, the long-term average is still good. Now, we're not seeing massive double-digit growth rates at the moment. So, when everyone's talking about a boom, I'm going, what boom? You know, yes, prices are decent now. They're a little bit above what you want, but they're not massively distorted for what you're getting, and that is the key. If we have a look at rents, this is the other reason why the market is so stable because the rental is tight across the nation. The Australian average is 3%. That's one of the lowest in the world. In Sydney got up a bit high because it had been going through a building broom prior to COVID and a lot of those properties got completed and released onto the market in the middle of COVID and therefore there was extra supply. But you can see that's even turning around now with a contraction of 0.6% in the recent quarter. So the vacancy is tightening up. Melbourne is at 5%. That's the highest and is expanding, but that's because most of what they built there, what we call stops, small, tall and overpriced, not really livable stock, but ideal for students. Ideal if you want to go and have a lovely weekend in Melbourne, what a great city but they're not long-term livable apartments. So it's very normal to see that now being a higher vacancy factor because they don't have the students yet. They're working on it, might happen in the near future. They don't have the tourism yet, and they're working on that. So that might be taken up pretty fast. But Brisbane and Perth, look at that. Perth is now under 1%. Only a couple of years ago, Perth was sitting at 5% vacancy. 5%. It's now at 0.8. Now you can see the corresponding uptick on the rents. The rents are now starting to go up. Now bear in mind there was a COVID freeze on rents. That's now coming out. So people are now getting shock therapy when their rents are coming up for renewal. But that's because the vacancy at point end is super tight. 0.8 is not normal. And we've got the same in Adelaide. So you can expect those markets to be strong. Now, unfortunately for people in Perth, there is a building lag. Even if we wanted to say, fix the problem today, good luck having something delivered and available within two to three years. So we're gonna be in this tight market for quite a while. Now, luckily the government did do the stamp duty concession a couple of years ago. And so we hopefully should have supply coming in, but it is really, really tight. They're looking to accelerate things now. But this again, makes it very safe across Australia because we have genuine, Occupation, owner occupiers are strong and the property market, which are investors, have a good pool of really good tenants paying their rent on time, no hassles, no worries. And this is after having moratoriums during COVID where you couldn't get rid of your tenant so that you had to support them. They didn't get rent free, but they got rent support. They didn't have rent pressure, but they're paying that back and everything's turning back to normal. So this is very, very strong for the Australian property market, that the the rental market is in such good health and tight. It's really bad news if you are a tenant, and hence why we're also seeing a lot of tenant pool going, we can't find anywhere to rent, we might as well buy, we might as well build. And a lot of places in the last six months across Australia, you've been competing with building grants and subsidies but they're all about to expire. Now what that meant was, you know, renters were saying, okay, we'll stay here renting and we'll build a house, it'll be ready in 12 months and we'll get 30, 40, 50 grand in subsidies. They don't get those subsidies anymore and they they can't wait the 12 months to build now. So they're now gonna have to go back into the established property market and meet those challenges there. And guess what? That's gonna create a further stimulus over and above what has been going on. A lot of the genuine demand has been redirected into new build homes because of the incentives and the grants. That's gonna turn around and aim directly back at the established property market, creating even more demand, even more pressure for the right properties. And that's the key. You need to have the right properties. Let's have a look at some of the issues of buying and selling. Well, obviously at the moment, access and viewing is not easy. It's always been somewhat difficult as an expatriate, but it's even hard in some places in Australia, particularly while COVID worries continue. We're seeing, you know, the fact that Australia has, you know, pretty much conquered and mastered COVID overall. We'd have, you know, currently no community you know, transmission cases whatsoever. But we live in this eternal nervousness that we might have one. And again, for all you people overseas, you may not realize that. We consider officially an outbreak of COVID in Australia is if one person gets it outside of the hotel quarantine system. So that's one, O-N-E, right? One person gets it outside of hotel quarantine. That is called an outbreak and borders closed. It's immediate here that we don't muck around. So what that means is even with the property market, you know, having home opens and that, they're not sure that if there's one person gets it, that you'll still be able to have a home open or an auction or whatever. So, yeah, you know, there is issues. But what happens is alternative technologies have come up. You can get video now. So if you're overseas, it's not that hard. You just have to get over your own mental barrier of saying, okay, I can't see it, I don't want to buy it. Well, you better. The video is good. You can have someone do a walk through, find someone you trust, family or whatever, Get in there, have a look, check the video out. If it's within Cooey, grab that sucker. Obviously, auctions, if you're on the East Coast in particular, in Melbourne and Sydney, they're the dominant way properties get sold. So you need to be aware that you have to go there. Now, bear in mind, if you go to an auction in Australia, you have to be able to prove that you can pay the price you bid. So you can't go there without pre-approval or proof of of funding. So make sure you're ready to go. You can have people that will go to auctions. We do it ourselves on your behalf, put it on the phone, and you can go, yes, 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 too much, no. But just bear in mind that you can do that. It's difficult, but it's doable. Most of the property in outside of New South Wales and Victoria is done by negotiation, which means it's online, it's available. You can go in and say, look, I'm willing to pay this. They either accept or not. But just bear in mind the sellers are back in control for the first time in a long time. You're gonna to have to meet as a buyer the seller's price rather than them meeting yours. So don't outsmart yourself and miss out on a lovely property for a couple of thousand dollars that you thought you should get it cheaper. Always remember the market price is what someone is willing to pay. So if someone is willing to pay more than you, then that's a higher market price. Are you willing to keep going? You know You are in control of your destiny but obviously don't go crazy if the property doesn't meet your needs. If it's not the one you want, why pay over the odds? Keep hunting for the one you want. You've also got to remember that entry costs are on the rise. Now interestingly, New South Wales has got a a, uh, proposal on the table to get rid of stamp duty, but it's a bogus thing. They're not getting rid of stamp duty, they're allowing you to pay it as an annual fee over a long period of time, rather than an upfront. But every time the prices rise, because your entry costs such as stamp duty are a percentage, so too they, you know, if it's 6% and the price goes up, so does the 6%. So you've got to bear in mind that the cost of delay is not just the increase in the value, but it's the increase in the entry costs. Don't push it too that that far down the line. When you do buy from overseas, you also need to be mindful of land tax because when you rent the property out, if you're not living in Australia, you will have to pay land tax. And that's got pretty nasty across the board in Australia for expensive houses in particular. So just make sure that you're aware of whatever the land tax might be when you buy before you commit. Now, it's definitely not a reason not to buy, but you need to know what it will be. Particularly, for instance, in Sydney, if you buy an ugly old house in a really good suburb, you might end up paying 10, 20, 30, $40,000 a year in land tax, and if it's an old house, some of those, the rent isn't enough to cover it. Now, if you're happy to pay for that because you want that gorgeous view of the Sydney Harbour Bridge and the Opera House and the best suburb in Sydney, so be it. But make sure you're aware of it. So when you're looking to buy, don't just look at the house, but ask what is the land tax position? If you rent it, the agent will be obliged to tell you. If he doesn't, talk to us, we'll let you know. Yeah, and you've got to be prepared. You know, It is harder if you're overseas to get a loan. Even in Australia, it's not easy to get a loan. So you better make sure you get your loan pre-approved, that you're ready to act, that you're psychologically in tune, particularly if you go to an auction. You've got to discuss with your partner what is our real maximum price and how far above that are we willing to go for the right property. Now, I don't want you to be crazy. I don't want you to be you know, spending more than you need to, but you have to assess how much is the property worth to you in the current market. It's hard to get bargains right now. You know, and you've got to remember that the good news is if you do buy from overseas, there's lots of renters. You see the, the vacancy factor at 3% means you're going to get it rented. It's just a matter of being sensible on the rent, you know, finding the right people and having it ticked out until you eventually want it or rent it forever if it's for investment. There's also the fact that remember that you need to look after your tax. Now, we do that for you. You have to lodge an annual income tax return if you're living overseas, if you've got rental in Australia. Regardless of whether the rent is more or less than your expenses, you have to lodge. When you sell it, there's capital gains tax issues. In Australia, you don't pay capital gains tax on your family home if it's your family home. If it's been rented for a period, then you just have to make sure that you've got the tax implications assessed. Again, we'll help you with that. That's a whole nother seminar. They're on our website. Go and check them out. we have given you lots of information on those. And if you're selling a property from overseas, you just will find that if it's over 750,000, you're gonna have a withholding tax of 12.5% of the sale price retained if you're living overseas. Now that's not the tax payable. That's just a provision until you lodge your tax return to calculate the actual tax. So you cannot get a clearance certificate if you're living overseas. In Australia, if you sell a property, you must get a clearance certificate before settlement or they will deduct the 12 and a half. But it's easy, it's automatic. If you're living in Australia, you just get the form, bang, no withholding tax. If you're overseas, you're either gonna pay the 12 and a half or if that is more than the actual expected tax, you can vary it down to the lower level of what you think it will be. We can help you do that form but you do have tax issues. A reminder that if you are an expatriate living abroad, you know you used to get your family home you know, for the period you lived in it, tax-free capital gains. You do not get that if you sell that home while you are living overseas. So please do not sell your family home, your former family home, when you are living out of Australia before you have checked what the tax implications would be. You may think that it will be tax-free, but it will not if you are not living in Australia at the time. Talk to us about that, we'll help you out. Okay, in terms of you know, your property options, well obviously you can buy property direct. You know, It's very simple, you can just buy it in your name, yeah, but you need to be mindful that there are FIB restrictions. And by that, it just means if you are not an Australian citizen or a holder of an Australian permanent residency visa, you cannot buy a established property in australia you can buy a property but it must be brand new so the only restriction for buying australia is if you are a foreigner and a foreigner can buy but can only buy brand new so apart from that no hassles you can build a house as a foreigner you can buy an apartment that's being built you can buy a brand new apartment that's just completed but you cannot buy a secondhand property as a foreigner but that does not apply if you've got citizenship or Australian permanent residency. You can buy joint ownership with your wife. They have you know, either tenants in common or joint tenants. Joint tenants means that if one of you die, the ownership transfers automatically to the other. Tenants in common means that it goes to your will to be dispersed in accordance with your instructions. You can use companies and trusts to buy it. And generally speaking, you know, we don't recommend people buy property in companies. You know, um, again, there's tax implications of that. In a company, you will not get your family home tax-free status. So as a general rule of thumb, you wouldn't buy in a company. You might buy in a trust because it's a more flexible vehicle, only if you think you will never live in that property, okay? But again, you should get tax advice before you buy in a structure. We can talk to you about that. Always bear in mind, only Genuine long-term investments should go into trusts or companies. It's not always advantageous, it's not always easy to get finance, so there's other issues to consider. You can also buy, in terms of your options, you can buy in a collective ownership structure. So you could buy in a private trust where you come together with others and use that to buy the properties, or you could buy in a public trust where it's, you know, people you don't even know. Again, at SMATS we have options for you in that. We have our consortium which allows you to take some, some property opportunities. And we're about to release the Australian Residential Property Fund. Look out for that in the not distant future. Um, so that you can get participation with without foreign buyers fees and all sorts of things. And of course, there's value adding through development. So you can go and buy a property that could maybe knock down and put a duplex, triplex. You could do that singularly or in syndicates. So again, we offer that to our clients. You can come along and participate where we do it as a group. The advantage of value adding through development is normally the rotation. You can buy properties, rotate inside two to four years, do the next one. The profitability can obviously be more attractive because you're taking something, giving it a polish and making it something better, and that can tend to add more than the market would generally offer. So you've got lots of options in getting into property in a whole or in part, depending on what your circumstances are. In terms of, you know, let's getting on with it, how do we get into the market? Well, generally speaking, for anyone you need a deposit of between 5 and 20%. Now, uh, expats, you know, it's very very hard to get a deposit less than 20%. So, you know, if you're living overseas, 20% is really your guideline. If you're in Australia, you can go from a 5, 10, 15, 20% deposit. But importantly, it doesn't have to be all cash. It can also be alternate security. So if you already own a property that is worth substantially more than the current mortgage, you can use that as the 20% deposit. You know, For people living in Australia, you might be able to even use your parents' property as a, uh, a part alternative security. So there's options there for you. you know, bear in mind that when you buy a property in Australia, usually you're gonna be up for costs of about five to 6% of the purchase price, Primarily that is state government stamp duty. So now it depends on the price of the house. The cheaper it is, the lower it is, the higher it is, the higher it is. Plus you've got legal fees, usually in the order of a thousand to $3,000. So you'll need to factor that in, but five to 6% generally will cover that for most people. If you are a foreigner, then there's extra duties. There's a federal buyer's fee of five to 25,000. And there's also a foreign buyer state fee of seven to eight percent of the purchase price. <clears throat> now, importantly, this does not apply to anyone living overseas if they are an Australian citizen and also if they are an Australian permanent resident visa holder anywhere except New South Wales. So, New South Wales, if you're a citizen, you don't pay it, but if you are a permanent resident visa holder or a Kiwi, you know, then you are going to be charged that seven to 8%. So you need to be mindful because we do have a lot of clients that live overseas and their spouse is not a PR or maybe they're buying in New South Wales is, and they don't realize that they're going to be tapped up seven to 8% foreign buyers duty you know, on that half that they allocate to their spouse. What that may mean is that you buy it 100% in the Australian citizen's name. And then later on when you're living back in Australia or you've got you know your citizenship, you can transfer it without duty and cost later on. But you need to be mindful of that because that's a significant cost. And if you didn't realise it was there, you're going to be smashed. There's some government incentives. Like I said, there's some building grants starting to come to an end. They were available for Australians and overseas investors, now starting to to, um, cross off. The stamp duty discounts, basically only WA has got that now with a 75% discount on both the stamp duty and also the foreign buyers fee. So if you are a foreign buyer, WA is opportunistic. WA is is safe and savings wise, and it'll get you in the door at a better property. And if you're a first-time buyer, there are incentives varying from state to state. Importantly, what a lot of people don't realise is that if you are living overseas, you can go and buy a property as an investment, and that doesn't stop you from getting 1st home buyer's grants when you eventually come back to Australia and buy your first home that you intend to live in. So don't be afraid to buy waiting for that. It's still available. In terms of interest rates, wow, they're super cheap. You can see there on the graph, they're at the lowest level, 0.1%. The last rate rise was November 2010. The the RBA says they're going to stay like this for a couple of years. Um, And the fixed rates in particular are super attractive. For owner-occupiers, they're less than 2% for up to four to five years. For investors, 2.5% to 3% fixed for four to five years. Never before has it been this good, not just in Australia, but around the world. But Australia, this is unique. We've never got this low, even during the GFC and Asia, the Asian crisis and everything else. I'm just glad I'm hooked up to the eyeballs so I can just get a whole lot of cheap interest rates because it's hard to get a loan, but you need to lock those rates in. Now, for the first time in a long time, we now actually are penalised if we go interest only rather than principal and interest. So we've always said go interest only go interest only and that was because the interest rate was the same for principal and interest or interest only now it's less if you pay off some money you might as well do that unless it impacts your cash flow adversely and the servicing rules are getting better it's still difficult if you're overseas it's still difficult but they have relaxed it and have become more sensible in australia for people overseas and in australia you know from various banks but it's very hard to get a loan you need an expert get onto our specialist mortgage team We'll sort you out. You know, getting towards the end, you know, in terms of uh, what we've got here, so we've got low servicing costs at the moment, mean that you've got we've got a perfect storm in the housing industry. You know, it's it's fantastic to be an owner. Better to be an owner than a renter. Better best time ever to be an investor. Basically, no negative gearing. If Shorten had not even talked about negative gearing, he'd probably be the prime minister. He didn't need to because low interest rates mean that nobody's negative geared anyways. We've got genuine demand that is not likely to subside anytime soon. We've got a very tight rental market. The supply lag will take a long time to catch up with. And by the time it catches up, the demand will have increased anyways because they'll have opened the border and let people in. We've got a massive scarcity in good quality property and that's where you want to be. The market is split in two you know, between junk and good. Don't buy junk. Junk is dangerous at any time. Good market, bad market, whatever. You know, buy good property, and good is not hard to figure out. It's large size and livable. It's a good location, a good view, near a good school, whatever it is that makes it good for that particular property. So get something that you would enjoy living in, even if it's just for investment. You know, If it's not livable, it's not investable. And for the first time in a long time, we got confidence and fear equally balanced. In fact, the only fear that people have right now is fear of missing out. So, you know, that's why they're willing to pay a bit extra on the price. Confidence is strong, fear is limited. You know, that means that you're gonna have to meet seller's prices. Again, don't be ridiculous if it's massively over asking, but what you wanna do is ask the selling agent, how did they establish that price? What comparables? Ask your advisor, what do they think? You know, you don't wanna be ridiculously over, but you don't wanna miss out if you love the property. And what we've got in, Austra- in Australia, for the, again, unique to us, I think, is we've got an increased capacity from the local market where they're now more affluent, they're more confident because we've conquered COVID. We're still you know in- leading the pack there. But we've also got expanded capacity in the market from expatriates returning with bigger budgets, migrants coming with bigger budgets. So every sector is more affluent than it used to be, and it's not getting any cheaper to do subdivisions it's not getting any cheaper to do developments so you're going to have to keep get your capacity enhanced or buy early before someone outbids you get cracking and i'm just put it. i think and i've held this view for over 25 years that australia is the world's preferred destination COVID has made this even more so wait till the rest of the world finds out how well australia not only managed COVID but conquered it and we kept the community safe economically and physically, and that hasn't been achieved anywhere else to the extent that Australia has done. And that's gonna be an eye-opener for anyone who has a reasonable amount of sensible wealth in terms of choosing where they want to live for the rest of their life with their lovely family. And that is going to fuel genuine demand growth in Australia for decades to come. Australia is a wonderful place. Everyone wants to live down there. That's why the property market won't crash. That's why if you're lucky enough to own your properties already, you should be feeling very, very happy. And that's why if you don't own it yet, please get off the sidelines, find something good, and get as good a price as possible that you can negotiate. Thank you. Back to you, Craig.
0: Fantastic, Steve. a great presentation they're very informative um you know just some things i picked up on you know that comment you made about that house that you want to live in it's once in every 20 years it becomes available on that street and that suburb that you actually want to get into it you know and it's very true from from my own situation other people i speak to they just can't find the product you know out there um obviously Mm -hmm. very tight the market as well um which i think is also encouraging for investors if they're looking for good rental yields as well which is fantastic and the other thing I picked up on is, you know, obviously seek advice in terms of tax and, and everything else before you go looking, but also more importantly, talk to us about getting pre-approval for a mortgage so you actually know what you can afford and the bank will lend you uh, and then you can kind of it's work out Critical at the, the moment.
1: Absolutely critical.
0: Okay, so that sort of finishes the presentation. Um, thanks everyone for attending. We'll get to the question and answers shortly. Um, but for SMAT services, you know, in terms of tax, financial planning, financing, buying real estate, um, obviously the property syndication. You want to even learn on how to send money back cheaply. We do have foreign exchange services. And also if you know someone that's interested in migrating to Australia because of all the good things that Stephen said, we also have the migration service as well. Uh, Just go to the website there, uh, www.smats.net or email us at the concierge at smats.net as well. And we do have an office here in Dubai as well. uh, And it's been here for quite some time. Thank you for listening to a Smats Chats podcast. You can request a free 20-minute tax consult with us by emailing smats at smats.net. Don't forget to come find us at www.smats.net or on Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter and YouTube.